Welcome to Decoding Sales, a podcast where an engineer, that's me, Alex, and a salesperson, that's me, Peter, talk about the art and science of sales as it relates to life and business. In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into how sales teams are organized. When you're starting out, of course, this is a, a simpler question. You might have one salesperson, but over time, as your business grows and you become more successful, you start having to think about how should I be organizing my sales team? Now, of course, your sales leader is probably going to help you with this, but you want to be informed too. You want to understand the what's and why's behind what they're doing. Make sure it makes sense. It fits your business. And of course, the structure of your sales team is going to have a big impact on the actual results of the business. So we're going to unpack both how sales teams are organized and how to think about different organizational strategies. And finally, when to start thinking about dividing and and conquering rather than everyone doing the same job. So Peter, just to kick us off, can you talk a little bit about, obviously when a team is is really small, you're not going to be super organized, but even if you have just a couple of people, is there usually sort of a, a default way that you start to break down leads between different sales folks? Yeah. If it's a couple people, you know, there's no reason to segment. I would say actually you would just do a pure round robin where you know, the each of the reps gets an even round of every type of lead. I think it's also helpful for everybody to see the wide variety of leads mm. that a business gets in the early stage. So you can compare and contrast. If you specialize too early, it's hard to understand, you know, speaking of our other episode, how to debug a sales process. If you only have one person specializing in each segment, if you have everybody specializing on everything, you're able to see more data. And typically early stage, you're not inundated with volume where that's not possible, right? So at what point do you start thinking about, hey, let's start to specialize? I think a lot of it is just looking at what types of companies are coming at you. So if it's like 500 leads, but they're all less than 100 employees, you know, there's no reason for you to bring in an enterprise rep. That's not going to be helpful. It's a matter of adding more people to the team because you want to get fast turnaround times and you want to make sure questions are answered when there is intent to purchase. Now, if you're looking at 500 leads and suddenly you see growth in the Disney's of the world, the NBC universals of the world reaching out to you, then it's not just about capacity at that point. It's about specialization because the enterprise sales motion is a lot different. So then at that point, you want to bring in somebody who understands how to navigate a long-term sales cycle. Got it. I think one of the things I maybe didn't put together before is that when you talk about specializing the team, it's not really about taking your current team members and saying you're on enterprise, you're on inbound. It's really about hiring people who are specialists in their area of expertise. That's right. Yeah. Specialists in their area of expertise, people who have seen a specific sales motion before. And I think training on the enterprise sales motion to think strategically how you're going to navigate an organization of 5,000 employees is different from training somebody to be able to answer very specific product questions that an inbound lead is asking. So let's continue down this journey. You've seen your lead volume grow. You've Mm -hmm. added a few people. You've started to see that some of your uh, customers are more enterprise in scale. What's the next point of inflection in terms of your sales organization? Yeah, I, I think the next point of inflection is to start looking at verticals, geographies, and start segmenting there as well. Because much like the the sales motion is different depending on size of company, the sales motion could be different depending on where you are. Even in the U.S., there's differences culturally, East and West Coast. And also there's that time zone issue where your West Coast reps aren't going to wake up at 4 a.m. to talk to somebody in New York. So I think that's the next level of segmentation. And again, like I was saying in the beginning, it's more looking at 
turnaround times? Like, are we dropping leads? Are deals not closing at the pace that they were when you're looking at different regions? And if that starts happening, it's an indicator that maybe you need to you know, put some capacity, you need to put some resourcing towards those regions. Same thing with verticals. There are certain people who have worked with health tech companies in the past, or, you know, there's people maybe who have worked with gaming studios or fintech companies. These are all verticals that are doing well for us right now, in spite of us not specializing in those verticals. But eventually there might be some great value to be had staffing somebody who has those relationships, let's say, or who understands some of the nuances of selling into different industries to be able to help you benefit from that specialization. So typically, are you going to see geography <laughs> or are you going to see vertical specialization earlier or does yeah. it just depend on the product? Typically, I mean, it does depend on the product, but in the companies I've been at, typically geography makes the most sense initially. And so that's where you segment it. Also, is a tried and true structure that a lot of sales teams have gone through. And it's also easier for it to be equitable, I would say, because it's very clear how many companies, what is the total addressable market in each of the regions. And that way you don't get into a situation where salespeople are upset that they're in a vertical that the company does well in or or not. So I think it's typically easier and much more straightforward and equitable to go with the geography delineation this era of remote work and COVID, when you're starting to specialize by geography, does your mind immediately go to, I need to open a new office? Or does it go to some of my team members are going to have different schedules, but they're all going to be from, you know, San Francisco or whatever. Yeah. How, how do you think about geography specialization and, and actually locations for your offices? Yeah. I mean, pre-COVID, it was definitely location of offices. That's why we opened the New York office when I was when we were at Dropbox, right? Because we were seeing a lot of East Coast customers. I was on a plane every other week flying over there. And it's not efficient for me to be flying to New York from the West Coast. And so pre-COVID, it was opening up offices. Post-COVID, it's not so much about opening up offices for us. We're a fully distributed team, but it is having people in those regions because, you know, when we do open up, and, and things get better with COVID, I do want my team meeting customers. I do want my team to be able to understand the cultural differences of a New York versus Atlanta type sale. And, and I do think relationships are really important to getting deals done. The other thing too is, yeah, I'm not going to force my West Coast reps to wake up at 4 a.m. I think there's something to be had for supporting people within the specific time zone. Which is why also eventually I'd love for us to open up a European office because we do get a lot of questions from European customers around when that presence will start materializing because it's very comforting to be able to call somebody or meet somebody or work with somebody in the same time zone. So when you start to specialize both by go-to-market motion and geography, does this become sort of an end-by-end matrix that like in each of your geographies you have, and you know, you say you're, you're say you have a New York office, you have reps in both of these motions as well? Or do you find that you often will have an office that's for specializing in a particular motion at the same time? Yeah, that's a great question. I think within the US, it definitely makes sense to kind of scale in parallel because, you know, a a lot of our marketing motions, by the way, we just hired a CMO a few weeks ago, are going to be geo-focused, not necessarily state-by-state focused. And I think the US, as we start gaining more brand awareness, likely the inbound versus outbound motions will scale up quite evenly. I think that within the U.S., definitely it makes sense. Internationally, I think it depends. If we're actually charting new territory in LATAM, for example, let's say we're looking to build up a presence in Brazil, depending on how their culture is, we might decide to actually staff up 
just the enterprise motion first, because maybe the Brazilian SMBs follow enterprise in terms of buying software. I just made that up. I don't know if that's like completely true, but each culture also has differences in terms of how companies discover software and how they purchase it. And so I think we would likely, once we get there, we don't have any international offices right now, but once we get there, that's probably what we would look at. You know, how does a Singaporean company purchase software and is it mostly enterprise driven or are most folks like online on Google searching for the next VPN replacement? So we need to staff up the inbound muscle. So I think it is going to depend on culture as well as how we actually feed the marketing machine, because those will lead to different interest levels and different leads for different segments. So let's talk a little bit about how you manage these sales teams and offices. It seems quite complicated that you have both geographic organization and also go-to-market organization, which Mm -hmm. is usually primary in terms of reporting structure. Initially, geography makes the most sense. Like, for example, if we're hiring somebody, I'll take the Brazilian example again. If we hire somebody in Brazil, it doesn't make sense for that person not to own both motions because... Typically, the sales cycle, even if it's different, it's still going to be culturally very similar, right? And and that person can likely figure out both the high velocity and enterprise motions at the same time until specialization is needed, until you hit that inflection point. So I think that's most common, I would say, is to start with the geography. In terms of how you manage those teams, though, it's very different, right? Inbound is mostly about turnaround times at a high volume. How quickly are we getting back to people? Every minute counts, whereas outbound, it's more about, you know, how are we mapping each organization? Are we going deep into each organization? And is there a next step to continue elevating the conversation amongst the executive ranks? So the way you manage an outbound pipeline is very much deal focused, whereas an inbound pipeline is very much focused on velocity, turnaround time, speed to response and sales cycle dynamics. Like how quickly can we get deals closed after we first talk to them? So what I'm hearing you talk about so far is that the dance of growth in a sales organization, it starts with geographies. You start with one office in one place, and then you start to sort of bud out different specializations by go-to-market. And then you bud out at the geography level again, and then you split out your specializations within that geography as it starts to make sense and, and kind of repeat that motion And so geography is primary, go-to-market tends to be secondary, and that allows you to grow with these individual sales leaders across different offices. So my next question is, what kind of structures have you seen put in place to manage the go-to-market motions consistently, or, or maybe if consistency may not be the goal, but certainly sharing strong practices in materials, expertise probably would be the goal. So how do you organize so that you benefit from that knowledge sharing and engineering. Sometimes you have product-focused organizational structures where you have engineering teams organized around a product, Uh and sometimes you have technology-focused engineering structures where you focus around the technology. And so you have like, one of them is, there's benefits to both, but obviously when you have a product-focused engineering organization, you need some way to share technology expertise across your organizations. Sure. So that all of your iOS engineers are benefiting from the latest iOS knowledge. So my question is, I assume Mm -hmm. there's a similar challenge With the sales go-to-market, where if you have your geography as primary, there's still tactics and strategies you want to share across a particular go-to-market motion. How do you organize for that? The way that we knowledge share is 
But to be able to take learnings and disseminate it regardless of deal motion. So I'll give you an example, like for the inbound deal team, they're seeing a higher volume of inquiries, right? So they're able to see data at a faster pace. So over the last like 10 calls, if the inbound team is seeing the same objection come up over and over again, the enterprise team can still learn from that because maybe the enterprise team is only having two calls a day, but they should still be able to inform their conversations based off what they're hearing from the market at scale. So I think that's one way. Now, on the flip side of that, though, you want to take that with a grain of salt as well, because SMBs might have different requirements than enterprise. So I think that's also important to understand, too, is not to overcorrect for what you're hearing across the different sales motions, because I'll I'll give you a very good example for TwinGate. If an enterprise company is wanting to go deeper in terms of Internet security, and that keeps coming up and we're losing deals because of that. But for the SMB companies, they don't necessarily need that requirement because it's less stringent requirements, they're faster, more innovative, willing to be a little bit more forgiving in terms of the capabilities of the technology, then you don't want to necessarily say, okay, there's a learning here where maybe we need to focus on this product feature, even though SMB companies are not asking for it type of thing. Right. And I think that gets at what I was wondering about. If your teams are organized by geography and reporting to geography, do you, what kind of structures do you put in place to share knowledge across the reps who are focusing on you know, the inbound motion or the SMB motion versus the outbound motion? Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things is just to make sure, I mean, this might seem very basic, but to have some sort of feature request intake foundation with the product team, right? Where it's like, hey, like Alex is our chief product officer. Hey, Alex, across, you know, 50 SMB conversations, conversations with companies that are between zero and 100 employees, we're hearing this feature come up 20 times it becomes very easy to understand. And then at that point, okay, like, is this a blocker to deals because we keep losing within this segment because of this feature coming up? So I think that's one thing is just to have a healthy product feedback loop where you can, by segment, be able to disseminate to the product team why you're losing deals and why you're also winning deals too, by the way. So I think that's something that's good to have as part of hygiene is just to have a place where you can stack rank features and then start to say, okay, is this because the company is from a specific place or size, or is it actually universal across all the segments? And having the different segments and geographies be able to contribute to that feature request doc or docs, I think is is really helpful to understand that. Oh, that's quite interesting. That is very different from what I was on the engineering side. The way this is often addressed is by having communities of practice or some kind of function owner, for example, or discipline or, or technology owner who's kind of expert and, and curates that knowledge. Whereas here you're talking about really like, actually, this comes back to being a product question. And instead of sales handling it internally, kind of leaning on the the product side to be the structure around which you organize this information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have right now a stack ring list of features that the sales team has you know conveyed to the product team and every single feature has the customers that have asked for it so it's very easy for us to look at the feature set and say okay if this 10,000 person customer is asking for this feature and that's the only customer asking for it is it worth actually like focusing on right now when the vast majority of our customers are between 0 to 2000 employees let's say So I think that sort of like tracking based off of the conversations you're having and and looking at where the customer is coming from based off of segment and geography is really, really helpful. So let's continue our journey through the evolution of sales organizations. So far, we've talked about 
starting with specializing by go-to-market, then adding new geographies, and then again, subspecializing by go-to-market. You've also talked about other ways of specializing like verticals. So what's typically the next warning sign that it's time to specialize again? And what does that look like? Yeah, I think warning signs, sometimes you get it qualitatively from prospects we're speaking to, you know, where let's take the vertical example where folks will be like, hey, listen, Peter, you know, government agencies work very differently from private companies. So if you're going to try and sell to a government agency, you need somebody to specialize in it. And if you have enough of those conversations, it's a good indicator to say, okay, maybe we do need to staff somebody there. Or at least even if you don't have somebody who's well-versed in that industry, have somebody on your existing team do research against that industry. Like, hey, what is it that this type of company needs so that when we are ready to hire for that full-time, we understand what the product gaps are and what the needs are for that particular industry. So I think that's one thing. You can also look at data and say, hey, we've been in 10 conversations, late-stage deals, and we continue losing within like the healthcare sector. You know, if that's the case, you want to look at, is it a product issue? Is it a resourcing issue or is it a combination of both? Likely it's going to be a combination of both. So I'd say, you know, that's also another warning sign, just looking at the data and seeing like your win rates across the different verticals. The last thing I'll say is outside of inbound versus outbound in enterprise software, there's also this whole ecosystem of resellers and managed service providers. And recently, you know, we've gotten a lot of interest from MSPs and resellers But that type of sales motion requires a whole nother set of product functionality and a whole nother type of sales motion. So if you're starting to see top of funnel, more of a particular type of company reach out to you to purchase your product and you're not able to necessarily make that a smooth frictionless process, that's also another indicator, a trigger for you to say, okay, we at least need to, you know, look at what we're missing or staff against that particular industry vertical or or, or sales motion. So you sort of talked a little bit about signs that it might be time to specialize and a couple of different ways of specializing. Is it more common for an organization to specialize by latching onto their channel partners next or to specialize by the types of industries next? Yeah, I would say, I mean, again, it it depends. I know that's not a very clean answer, but it depends on the product you're selling. You know, for us, VPN replacements, being able to look in in terms of like endpoint detection and remote security, that does tend to be sold pretty heavily through managed service providers. That's going to be very different from something like Slack or like an Airtable or Notion. I don't think that companies look towards managed service providers to figure out how to implement those tools because they're much more front-end focused, not like network and infrastructure focused. For us, also, it's an open question, I would say. We know that both managed service providers and certain verticals are going to be very important to the success of our company. And so we're looking at right now, how do we listen to the you know top companies in each of those different sectors to be able to inform how we resource that particular team? How do you know it's time to add a specialization either by distribution channel, as you're describing, which would require then a bunch of work or by industry vertical? Yeah, I think there's a couple ways. One is just looking at, again, top of funnel interests, right? Are you getting more volume than you ever had historically from managed service providers? Are they asking you in high volumes that they need XYZ product support functionality feature to be able to actually partner with you formally? 
That's kind of an obvious way. Same thing with verticals, right? Are you getting a lot of health tech companies reaching out to you more so than any other vertical? The other way that you know that there's a trigger is sometimes you can actually get commitment out of big companies or organizations before you actually have certain product functionality. So I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a big health tech company that says, hey, we will buy your product if you have XYZ feature launched by you know, the next six months. If that's the case, you know exactly what the dollar amount of that revenue impact could be. You know what the deal size could be and what the opportunity loss is if you don't focus on a specific vertical feature designation. And and that can also be a trigger. If internally I'm saying, hey, if we do X, Y, and Z and this customer closes, and that's going to be 50% of our revenue, that's a pretty compelling argument to resource that. Same thing with managed service providers. If they're like, hey, I have 500 clients that I would sign up right away, or better yet, Peter, I'm going to give you a million-dollar contract, and I'm going to sign for it, but I need to have commitment from your product team that you're going to have ABC feature set within the next six months. That can also be like a very compelling trigger because you actually have real dollars and intent behind specific resourcing that a specific sector or vertical needs. You know, you're getting at something that I guess should have been obvious, but wasn't until now, which is the importance of aligning your product roadmap with your sales organization and sales strategy. So in particular, when we were talking about geographies, I had in the back of my head this idea that, well, you probably need to think about localization. Yeah. You know, translation, all all of that kind of thing. But when you're talking about vertical specialization or channel partners, both of those do require like significant product lift. And so when I had asked the question, I was thinking about how do you sort of like think about it from specializing in terms of like dividing up your sales team, but really you're highlighting like the high order bit here is actually like specializing in terms of your product capabilities. And I'm guessing that then go to market follows from that rather than the inverse. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. And maybe it was so obvious that I also didn't mention it in the beginning of the episode either. But yes, that is a key part of this whole structure. I'm not going to hire 10 enterprise reps if we don't have the capabilities to have different admin roles within the admin panel, right? Because a 5,000 person company isn't going to be okay with having one flat admin role. They're going to want certain admins that can do everything within the admin panel and then certain admins that can only do a few actions. And so you're, you're exactly right. I think that the product roadmap and being clear about what you need for a specific go-to-market motion vertical geography is definitely a major part of this. But there's also a chicken and egg problem, right? If you don't have the reps going out, you're not going to get the data to yeah. say, oh, yeah, there are people interested in the enterprise version of this product. Yeah, that's and right. And to some degree, this is maybe a product manager role where part of the job of PMs is choosing the strategy for the product. What's the role of sales in this? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a big role that sales plays in this where, you know, the enterprise reps, just to take that example, they're as much selling as they are doing research. I choose folks who are curious about the technology and and the customers, not people who have just done enterprise sales, right? Because when you're on a call and there's a inkling of a product gap, you have to take a step back and say, hey, Mr. Disney, if we had XYZ feature, would you purchase Twingate? 
right? And being able to prioritize and understand that there's 10 things you could focus on, but two or three that will actually get the deal done. That is a very product focused exercise for sure. And so I think, first of all, like I do look for people who can do that. And then in terms of how you structure the team, you can actually get creative with taking one or two people and saying, hey, listen, Alex, I know you have a quota, but this quarter, like 20% of your job is also going to be figuring out if we can get into government agencies. And what I want you to do there is not necessarily worry about the dollar amount. So I'll give you a little bit of quota relief. Maybe I'll decrease your quota by 20%. But I do want at the end of this quarter to understand what we need, what we're missing, and if we should actually 100% focus on a specific vertical. So you can, and even though sales teams are very quota driven and it's black and white what the success is, I think you can take certain individuals who are ready for it and who are willing and have the skill set to be able to do a little research for you as well. Peter, I think that that's a great place for us to wrap up today. You gave us a great overview for our founders in the audience, what they can expect to see from their sales team over time and how it evolves. And importantly, also what the role of the rest of the organization is. It's not just about sales team. It's also about the product, its capabilities, and aligning between the product teams and the go-to-market teams to support the specialization that, that then a sales team can use to more rapidly grow. As always, if you liked this episode and are excited about decoding sales, the content that we're covering, please like us on social media, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're enjoying these, please give us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you.